1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. Today, I am joined by Ben Solak. We have a great slate of games to discuss today. None bigger than Sunday night's Chiefs Raiders game. So let's start right there, Ben, and dive right into it. Love the show, doing it with you. I want to get back to something we did before, which was the good old blame pie game. Mm -hmm. We got a pie. We need to divvy up whose blame it is. And I want to start with the Chiefs Offense. So, scheme or execution? Has Andy Reid adjusted well enough to attack the way the defenses are currently playing this team? Or are the players not executing the scheme well enough? Who is specifically to blame for this and how would you distribute that blame?
0: Ooh,
2: yeah, tricky one. I think the, I, I want to start with Travis Kelsey and move out from there because with what the Chiefs are dealing with right now in terms of they're seeing more too high uh, shells, pre-snap, two deep safeties than any other team in the league. Uh, Seth Glean of PFF wrote a piece about that this week. That stat is in there. I think it's 130 more snaps than any other team in the league. That's more cover two. That's more two-man. They're seeing more quarters. They're seeing like, like top five rates of cover six. Everything you run from too high, that's what they're getting. Uh, previously, when the Chiefs were trying to answer this problem, They said, all right, if you're going to open up space for us underneath by taking bodies out of the box, taking bodies out of the first level, we will work short to intermediate with Travis Kelsey and you will not be able to stop him. You know, coming into the season, we would have described Travis Kelsey as a player for whom there isn't really a singular one-to-one answer on defenses in the league. Oh, you know, Derwin James, Teron Matthew, like Jalen Ramsey, if you get him there. But generally, average defense doesn't have a Kelsey answer. Kelsey's really not uh, been as successful this year in that role. Uh, he's still getting a high volume. The counting stats are still good, but it's not nearly what we're used to seeing from Travis Kelsey. The reality is he's getting he's getting mugged up a lot in, in the contact window, right? We call contact window that five-yard area where you're allowed to, to contact the receiver and you're not going to get called for legal contact. In reality, he's getting contacted at six yards and seven yards and eight yards and nine yards. And he's, he's drawing some penalties. I would imagine he's... Uh, he gets a a higher rate of, of, of DPIs and holdings and, and uh, illegal contact penalties than other players in the league, but not to the degree to which he should be, right? Like, if, if refs were probably throwing flags honestly, he'd be getting it a lot. And refs just aren't going to throw flags like that. That's a little bit of, like, a, I don't know, market inefficiency in defense. Like, just mug up a guy. And eventually, refs are just going to get used to how physical you're playing him. Teams are being really physical with Kelsey. And it's because... Kelsey and Mahomes like to run this open style of offense where Kelsey's not always like breaking at 12 yards on his seventh step, hard to line of scrimmage. It's not very like precise, right? It's not like super Earhart Perkins, Bill Belichick, Josh McCain's got to be right here, right now on time. It's a little bit more open. It's a little bit more, we expect our guy to get open. So we're going to let you to do it kind of at the depth that you want and the range that you want. And Mahomes is just kind of sitting in the pocket, trusting Kelsey to do that. Kelsey's struggling to do that this year. So the, the Chiefs have lost their primary option, their primary uh, safety valve, when they get these two deep, cautious, defensive looks. There are other solutions. There is Miko Harmon and Tyreek Hill underneath and using their speed, and they've tried to do that the last couple of weeks. There is the running game, which is the traditional answer to when you're getting a lot of too high and light boxes. The Chiefs have been trying to run the football. They really, really struggle to run the football out of spread. And then there's also uh, the idea that if you have better depth at wide receiver, you can go and pick your spots when you go spread. You can go and and isolate the third corner the fourth corner and get your third receiver on him. Chiefs don't really have that depth either. So that puts some of that blame pie then on Andy Reid and some of that blame pie on Brett Veach and how they've managed the wide receiver position. The offensive line makes it tougher for Mahomes to kind of improvise back there. Makes it tougher for him to take his kind of a little bit wonky drop backs. That's on Orlando Brown and Mike Remmers, but it's also on Brett Veach again. And so... The, the, to me, it's a very widespread blame pie. But the, the player to me that uh, on the Chiefs has been most surprising in the fall off of his play has not been Patrick Mahomes. His play is definitely taken a step back, but I can explain that a lot more easily than I can when I'm just watching Kelsey remembering a player who simply felt uncoverable at times in like 2019 and 2020. And is just really struggling to get through physicality right now. So I think a good point of Genesis to talk about the issues on Kansas City is the fact that Travis Kelsey just hasn't been the same player for them as he's been in recent years.
1: No, he hasn't. And, and that there definitely has been apparent. You're right. Um, now, we watch this team. Granted, they have been playing a little bit more difficult defenses than they played Earlier in the season, earlier in the season, they're playing teams like the Eagles and like the Washington football team. And, you know, those were the last couple of games that we really remembered this team hardly punting at all and having a lot of offensive efficiency. The last three weeks, they've played defenses that ranked 10th, 15th, and 16th. So about league average, slightly above league average. Well, now they play the number 14th ranked Raiders defense. After watching the game versus the Packers on, you know, this past week, have you seen anything that gives you hope that this Chiefs offense is like a thing or two away from getting back on track? If not, you know, do you see any hope for improved efficiency against this 14th ranked Raiders defense?
2: No, uh, there was nothing they did against the Packers that was remarkable relative to what they've done previously. That's a a, a you know a light at the end of the tunnel. They walked out in that opening drive. Uh, on on the game script, right? So on on the scripted plays, scored seven. I think it was the opening of the second drive. I can't recall, but it was on the script. Uh, And then they had two field goal drives, which I think one was like 25 yards, the other was like six yards because they were off turnovers. It was not a good offensive performance by Kansas City at all. I like what Green Bay's defense have been doing recently. I think we're talking about that a little bit later. But in general, Kansas City's offense, which we got to remember, after week like five, was record setting in terms of how successfully it was picking up first downs how successfully it was sustaining drives that's starting to fall away and to me that's got more to do with like regression to the mean than anything else the problems that were around for Kansas City's offense in week five are still around it's they were somehow sustaining continued drives they were there they Putting together these long drives, just getting turnovers at the end, and they were getting seven instead of three. They were they were somehow scoring enough points. Their points per drive numbers were like insane, and that's just starting to fall back a little bit because this offense is incomplete and has been incomplete. Losing a guy like Clyde edwards alaire for example, the running game goes from below average but okay to really quite poor. Mike Remmers in for Lucas Niang, right tackle goes from not great to really not great. You know, and so to me, it's a little bit of just like. The expected step back from a team that was on a record-setting pace—that's obviously trying to carry a huge load uh, on the Kansas City team altogether. I think they'll have higher-scoring games. I think they'll—they'll they'll round out. I think they'll get easier defenses, like you've talked about. I still remain, in general, not like overly concerned with the future of Patrick Mahomes and his like throwing mechanics and everything. That—that that conversation's a non-starter to me. They've gotten some bad defenses. They're, they're trying to carry a whole team right now because their defense has been getting better, but in general is the weaker unit. And they're also changing identity-wise what they're trying to be on offense. They try to solve these, these two deep shells. They try to replace their explosive plays. They're just going through it right now. I think it's growing pains. And even though nothing against Green Bay was particularly eye-opening, I think they're going to be okay long run. I think they're going to find some answers as we go down the season.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, we have been talking about this uh, since we have seen the first inklings of this team not being quite as efficient. We talked initially about how they weren't punting the ball and how their drives were ending in points or uh, turnovers. And that hasn't been the case. And so the key is always, from a gambling perspective, you want to be ahead of the trends. You want to be ahead of the moves. You want to be studying the details so directly that you can predict kind of where things are going. And it's one of the reasons why like betting unders on the Chiefs games over the last couple of weeks... If you were quick to make that move, you've been able to get a lot of line value and have had a lot of success in in doing that. With regard to the Raiders' defense specifically, this is a fascinating defense. I want to talk specifically about this matchup now. On early downs, the Raiders have just a 10% blitz rate, which is by far the lowest in the NFL. No other team is below 14%. The average is 22%. Somehow, though, Despite blitzing at the lowest rate by far of anybody, they have a 37% pressure rate on early downs, which is by far the highest in the NFL. No other team is above 34%. The average is 28%. And I have a graphic that I'll tweet out. Haven't been as active on Twitter due to some other issues, but I will be tweeting this out later today. It looks insane where the Raiders sit on this graphic of blitz rate versus quarterback pressure rate on early downs. The fact that they might be able to get natural pressure on Patrick Mahomes at a rate that he hasn't had to deal with, despite not blitzing, sounds like the perfect way to further disrupt a passing game that is already struggling a ton. How do you think their ability to get pressure without blitzing is going to impact the game on Sunday night? Yeah, I think I always go back to that 2020 Week 2
2: Chargers-Chiefs game where it was Justin Herbert's first game. The Chargers accidentally stabbed Tyrod Taylor, right? (laughs) It was just like, what is going on? This is going to, like, the rookie has to start against the Chiefs. Like, this is nuts. And then uh, Kansas City uh, went to overtime. It was 2020. Uh, The Chiefs had to put together a game-tying drive if memory serves and then won it in overtime. Uh, It was one of the first times we saw the Chiefs defense, you know, kind of hit a wall, or excuse me, the Chiefs offense kind of hit a wall for four quarters. Nick Bosa, and Melvin Ingram, and not Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, I'll never get those two correct. Bosa and Melvin Ingram were just living in the backfield. The Chargers were rushing with four, and they were in Patrick Mahomes' lap two and a half seconds every single time. And it's like, all right, if you can just get pressure with four, and you're able to drop seven, we can maybe get this thing done. But no team has an edge duo like the Chargers do. Lo and behold, the Chiefs were awesome the rest of the year, dealt with some tackle injuries, and then arrived at the Super Bowl against Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. We know the rest of that story. No team is getting blitzed less than the Chiefs. No team is blitzing less than the Raiders. Like This was meant to be, right? This is how the setup was, was always going to go. Then you have Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby. Both of whom are playing really, really good ball right now. Max Crosby is currently second in the league in win percentage on, on his rushes. Yannick Ngakwe, 14th. Uh, I wrote a piece. You can find it on the ringer.com. I'm going to expose myself here a little bit. 2-0 Raiders. And I said, there's no way Ngakwe and Crosby can keep playing this good. They just haven't done it in their career. Don't listen to me. Now, ignore everything. I, all these predictions are bad. It, it, their ability to maintain pressure with four without blitzing has been astounding. And it's because of the success of Crosby and Ngakwe, both of whom are playing at career clips right now. And that early down focus is very important. On third down, that's where you get funky. You move guys around, you blitz, whatever. Gus Bradley doesn't do much of that. On first down, usually have your guys play and run, usually you're not going to see a four-man rush be that successful on first down because they're, they're, that, that's a base down. You're potentially going to see a run play. They really just don't care in Las Vegas. They don't give a hoot. Okay, we're going to let Crosby and Ngakwe tee off. We're going to put them out wide and we're going to let them sprint upfield. And if sometimes you get gashed on a B-gap run, we're going to get gashed on a B-gap run. But these guys are speed rushers and we're going to let them be speed rushers. Uh, It's a very, very, very good matchup for the Raiders front against the Kansas City offense. And if the Raiders are able to get the passing game working in the first half, generate a lead, force Kansas City into pass scripts, those guys get to tee tee off and tee off and tee off and tee off and that's nightmare fuel. Crow Kansas City's offensive line has been playing.
1: Yeah, and first of all, I think a lot of us uh, expected a lot more regression from this Raiders team. Of course, they lost last week to the Giants. to speaking of which, quick answer on this one from you before we transition to the other side of the ball. How much did the Raiders offense miss Henry Ruggs last week? And can Deshaun Jackson fill that role at all? I don't think that, personally, Deshaun Jackson should be playing the number of snaps that Ruggs was playing because I just think he's going to, get injured. But what do you think there real quick before we switch sides of the ball? They missed him a lot. Uh, rugs is a good speed
2: threat. A hundred rugs track stars to run a four, two, one, whatever. Uh, he had been rounding out to a complete receiver. He had, the D play was the best thing that they had going for him. There's no two ways about that, but like ball tracking contested catch ability at Alabama. He was a good intermediate receiver. because He was good, willing to, you know, take a hit over the middle of the field and secure a catch through contact. That was continuing to show up body control adjustment and inaccurate passes. He was becoming a three-level guy for them. Uh, They missed him. To me, you need your guy, Brian Edwards, to replace some of that deep stuff. He's not going to do it as much with speed, but he's got really nice body control, ball tracking, and that. Deshaun Jackson can give you your speed element, and then you let Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro stay in their roles. I'm not surprised it was a struggle in in that first week uh, without Henry Ruggs. Giants defense also. a unit we had high expectations on coming into the year underperformed early, really starting to round into form as as of late. They're they're third in E paper play allowed over the last three weeks. Uh, So I think the Giants defense is a stiffer test than we realize. Kansas City should make things a little bit easier.
1: Okay, so we switch sides of the ball here. And I want to talk about this Chiefs defense because they have looked better. Uh, They've allowed only 12 points per game the last couple of weeks. They've made substantial strides over the last month. Um, While... On the season, they're allowing 8.2 yards per attempt with 50% success rate from pass plays, which ranks 24th. The last four weeks, that's down to only 6.7 yards per attempt and 44% success, which is ninth best. The same type of improvement has been seen on the run front where previously over the course of the entire season, 4.7 yards per carry with 57% success is down to 3.9 and 52% success over the last month. They've also improved in their explosive pass defense and explosive run defense in terms of allowing far a far fewer rate of explosive plays against them both in the air and on the ground. That being said they have played four offenses that aren't really anything to write home about. We're talking about the quarterbacks were Taylor Heineke, Daniel Jones, of course last week Jordan Love and before that, Ryan Tannehill, the one that kind of stands out a little bit from the pack, but still not like best in the NFL or anything like that. Now, this defense did bring in Melvin Ingram. I think last week he played 29 snaps, graded out as the best run defender via PFF, and that allowed Chris Jones to kick a little bit back inside. Um, Do you think the Chiefs' defensive improvement has been more opposing offenses that they played or their own defensive adjustments, and then... Do you think they'll have any success stopping this Raiders' offense, which does have a viable quarterback, does have a balanced attack, and does rank, you know, right around league average in terms of efficiency? Yeah. So I've got I've got a graph that I tweeted out.
2: Actually, it wasn't me. I just retweeted it from Scott Loring. Uh, it was a contributor, to Arrowhead Addict, the Chiefs' SB Nation site, and it shows how many points the Chiefs' defense has allowed, and also Daniel Sorensen's snap counts. And baby, those guys are <laughs> correlated. Uh, and I'm not a stats guy, so I'm allowed to just... Be like, yeah, correlation's good. Don't worry about it. We don't need to... There's no confounding variables here. Uh, Daniel and we, we take the mickey out of him, but he's a a player that teams have been trying to target in coverage and the Chiefs have been trying to get off the field accordingly. Like, this is the sort of learning process that they've gone through. They've gotten Juan Thornhill onto the field more in replacement of him. They're trying to settle Nick Bolton in. They're trying to get Willie Gay more snaps. They're trying to get their young guys out there, live through the growing pains, and hopefully get some better personnel. Very simply, Chris Jones is back, and that helps a ton, right? It's like, that's number one. Uh, You just get away with so much more stuff, right? Like, their second-round pick, Nick Bolton, at linebacker, he can't take on a block. He's 5'11", he's 232, he's stubby. It's just not what he does well. Chris Jones is up there, there's a lot more space to work with as a linebacker. You get away with having a player like that at the second level when Chris Jones at the first level. He's a force multiplier, right? He brings up the bottom floor for the rest of your defense. So that's number one. Uh, number two is also getting Traverius Ward back. Less of an impact, but he's their best man cover corner. Uh, they're playing a little bit less man. They're playing a little bit more zone. They're playing that two deep stuff and the you know stuff that we would call like cover seven and cover eight, like the man match stuff that, that Spagnolo's run for a while. All of that's good, but very, very simply, they've got uh, their star player back, and he's affecting multiple levels of the team. That's why you call him a star player. They add Melvin Ingram. Ingram's going to be able to play more at the edge, which moves Chris Jones back inside. They've been kind of having a fun game where they played Chris Jones at like five tech right outside of the tackle a little bit. He was good at it, but it's not what he does at like top three in the league levels. Play a defensive tackle, that works. And then the other thing is that Spagnolo, just in, uh, you know, we talk about this learning process, he's just settling into what he knows his team can and can't do. They've been really good at de- uh, defensively over the last few weeks. Markedly in the second half, they gave up 27 first half points to the Titans, 10 of them on short fields. In the second half, they gave up zero. And The Titans are a hard team to give up zero points to when they have a big lead because they're running the football. Uh, And they were able to lock down Derrick Henry fairly well. Next game, they get Heineke. They're down 13 to 10 at halftime. Gave up 13 first half points. Nothing in the second half. Jordan Love got seven uh, second half points on them. The Giants got three second half points on them. They've done a really nice job adjusting at halftime. And that, to me, is, is a hallmark of good coaching and getting those players back and understanding how to get them out there. And so I think that you have a shot for them to keep this thing close enough for the offense to win. With that said, I have too much trust in this point at Derek Carr and in that passing game and Greg Olson and the way that he's working that passing game uh, for me to fully think that they stop them. But this is a huge heat check for the Chiefs. Like you said, it's been bad offenses they've faced. If they can take the sales out of the Raiders, if they can make this a, a... low 20 scoring game, that's a huge win for a unit that was a massive liability a month and a half ago.
1: Absolutely. So let's end this discussion before we pivot to the next game. Last year, we saw some of the most entertaining games between these two teams, a 35 to 31 high scoring affair. And then the Raiders won outright 40 to 32. So we're seeing points mid 60s, upper 60s to 70s here. Do we come anywhere close that level of scoring given that the chiefs haven't topped 20 points the last three weeks right now this total sits at 51 and a half some spots 52 with the chiefs favored by two and a half points on the road side total final word on this game
2: yeah i i believe the total opened at 53 and a half that's where i got it at and i took it under there i think At this point, 52 and a half, I'm probably, uh, that's what you got at FanDuel. I'm probably still willing to take it there, even with the juice. Once we start to get down to 51, I think we're settling on it. Uh, And then for me, uh, I am, I understand why the Chiefs are two and a half point favorites. I get it from a academic perspective. This has been a very difficult team to trust. And the Raiders did very nicely have the Chiefs number last year. I don't think there's like a revenge game arc here for the Chiefs. I just don't think they've been playing well enough. They're still trying to right the ship. I'm surprised that you can still get a legit playoff team in the Raiders with a plus money line against Kansas City. And I'm willing to to sprinkle it, right? You never want to like be too heavy on, on dog money lines, but at plus 122, which is what FanDuel's got right now for the Raiders, I'll take that as well. Just because the Chiefs are not a trustworthy team to me at this point. Raiders are a playoff caliber team. I'm surprised I can get them as a dog at home.
1: Yeah, that'll be a great Sunday night to end the day. I'm looking forward to that game. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many
0: chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McKrispy. so go ahead and hit the turn
1: signal if you know about this juicy gem
0: of a detour.
1: To start the day, though, we have a battle of two overachieving teams. I think it's safe to say... The Tennessee Titans, sitting with the best mark in the NFL at 7-2, and two, and the New Orleans Saints, who are exceeding expectations, even though they dropped the game last week to the Atlanta Falcons. But I want to start with the Tennessee Titans side of things, because we saw these guys Sunday night football, and we predicted this was going to happen. It wasn't very difficult to predict this. You know that this is what this team is. You hear the offense coordinator, I made I quoted some of his statements uh, to House on Friday about this is who we are, this is what we want to do. And to no one's surprise, really, this team was massively still run heavy on early downs in the first three quarters. On the season, heading into the game, they were 55% run. In the game against the Rams, even though they didn't have Derrick Henry, they were 54% run. And these runs averaged just 2.8 yards per carry. Minus 0.19 EPA per rushing attempt with only 47% success. On the season year to date, the success rate was at 41%. Yards per carry was at 4.3 and EPA was minus 0.08. The runs weren't successful over the course of the season when they were running on early downs in the first three quarters. The passes were much more successful, but this team didn't care. They wanted to establish that ground game, establish their identity. They felt like that that would open up play action a little bit better, and it would wear down that defense so that they could run on them more in the fourth quarter. That is why they have approached offense the way that they do, and they don't appear inclined to change that whatsoever. But although it was an impressive win from a scoreboard perspective against the Rams and from a surprising everybody perspective, like, wow, the Titans are blowing these guys out, Um, this offense in general, they gain less than 200 yards. Um, If we want to try to look ahead, we're not going to be able to assume they're going to get a pick six and another interception that they return to like the three yard line. So we have to look at this offense and now they're going up against this Saints defense, which is the number one run defense in the NFL. Do you, I assume, see them sticking to their standard ways of running the football a lot on first down against this great run defense. And assuming, yes, um, it's going to be likely that the Titans will be faced with more second and third and long situations. So do you think that that approach will have success against the Saints defense?
2: No, the gotta stop doing this, man. Uh, It's a nice idea that you can put any back back there and continue to run the offense that you did when Derrick Henry was there, but you can't. Because Derrick Henry is very big, very fast, and very good. And very big, very fast, very good. Just does not grow on trees during week nine of the NFL season. And Adrian Peterson at one time was very big, very fast, very good. It's just no longer the case with Adrian Peterson. We got to get there mentally. Uh, when you when, when Henry was healthy, the Titans ran two separate offenses when Henry was back there and when Henry wasn't, right? When Henry was back there, they were a 12 personnel team condensed sets. We want two tight ends attached to the line of scrimmage. We want to bring our, our receiver, Corey Davis, AJ Brown into the formation as an additional block. Where we, want to, we want to run duo. We want to run, run inside zone. We want to get this guy going downhill. We want him to go find a linebacker and light that dude up. If there's no linebackers and he's in the second level against the safety and now we're winning the football game. That's how we want to be. And then they'd get into two-minute drill, you know, passing game scripts, at, at, you know, end of the half, whatever, third and long. And they would put Jeremy McNichols or Deion Lewis back there, and they would take the extra tight end off the field, and they'd put a third receiver on the field, and they'd put Shanahan in the gun, and they would become a more spread passing offense, right? There, were, there were, you, you, you have scripts as a coach relative to personnel, right? Like, who do we have available? What do we want to be when we have those people available? That's how we're going to run it. So if it's first and 10, heavy personnel, Derrick Henry, run the football. We don't have Derrick Henry anymore. We need to go to our third down scripts, our third and eight plus scripts, our two minute scripts, and make those the foundation of this offense. Or we could bring Adrian Peterson in and try to continue working with this dichotomy. That dichotomy from an analytics perspective is not good, right? Like Derek Henry's success rates on early down rushes is is like, you know, like league average and his EPA is is below league average, whatever. That already wasn't like a maximized game plan when Henry was there. And he's so... Freaking good! <laughs> now you don't have him, and you you you're you're trying to replace him with Adrian Peterson and Dont'a Foreman. If it didn't work with Henry again from like an analytics perspective, it's not going to work with these guys. The 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 theory behind it, in terms of how it affected the play action passing game on early downs, was 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 great, right? Like Tannehill's. EPA per play splits is a dot like all of that with Henry on and off the field like looks awesome right so it, 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 the effect it had on the passing game was great derrick henry brings people into the box there's no two ways about that you lost that so now you can't you can't replicate that with peterson you can't put peterson two tight ends out there and expect the defense to treat it the same way you have to become the team you've been on third downs on first downs Because you have that package. You understand how it works. I know you're not built for it. It's not what you want to be, but you have it and you've used it. You got to trust the quarterback. You got to trust Julio and and A.J. Brown. You got to be able to push the ball deep. You got to live on variants, got to live on explosives. It's not going to feel great, but it's a lot better than second and eight handoff to Adrian Peterson, man.
1: Now, I'm looking at this game, and we're talking about an inefficient run game of the Titans. Well, last week, we saw an inefficient run game of the Atlanta Falcons. They ran the ball 25 times against the Saints defense. They gained just 1.4 yards per carry with a 16% success rate. And yet, somehow, they won the game. And they won the game in part because Matt Ryan was chucking the ball down the field and having success in doing so. His average intended air yards was 9.3, which was the fifth highest. His completed air yards was 8.7. In theory, that seems like something that Ryan Tannehill could also do with, this, with these receivers if their run game does end up sputtering like we are expecting it to do. Um, what do you think the Saints should have been doing differently last week to stop that deeper passing attack? And what do you think they do in the secondary to match up with Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones? Because inevitably, as I think you and I are on the same page with this, we think the Titans are going to come on and try to run the ball. We think it's not going to be successful for the Titans to have any ability to score points. It's going to come through the air with Ryan Tannehill throwing on late downs. Inevitably, how does the Saints defense take that away from the Titans offense?
2: Um, I mean, I, Ryan had a great ADOT. Ryan was able to push the ball downfield. They didn't have Calvin Ridley, but they were able to get Kyle Pitts outside of structure and they're able to work with uh Lameda Zacchaeus and get him in some red zone looks I just think Matt Ryan's really good like I, I I structurally watch it and Dennis Allen was in the same stuff he's always in and usually it works really well and Ryan was just hitting kids you know what I mean like he had some really 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 nice throws they had the cowpits like drop as well like they could have had even more uh I don't see anything structurally that I'd want to change I think the Saints defense has earned the benefit of the doubt, even giving up what they did to Atlanta. I just think Atlanta's offense is straight good at this point. Right. And I've like talking about being early on things. You started to see it a few weeks ago. It was, you know, box score wise, maybe it wasn't that great. They're not facing the best defenses, but they were starting to settle in. And now all of a sudden they've, they've covered a couple of times uh, and they get Dallas on a nine and a half point line or whatever it opened at. And I think Dallas's secondary is a big weak point. I just trust this Falcons passing game. I would say generally, I trust the Titans passing game, but without Derrick Henry, with the offensive identity shifts and all of that, they're more difficult to trust. I think you stay in the same stuff you were in. I think you you continue to play Marshawn Lattimore uh, up against, I mean, I imagine they're going to put him on AJ Brown. You got Paulson Adibo on the opposite side against Julio Jones. That sucks, but that's where you are in terms of injuries and the draft picks that you've made, the money that you've spent. They you had to cut Janoris Jenkins. You have a third round rookie as your second outside corner. It stinks, but like, you know, it's tough to hide that player. They're gonna continue to play too deep. They're gonna they're gonna be able to play Chauncey over the slot, which will be really nice when the Titans go two receivers, but AJ in the slot. All that's gonna still work for you. I think that with with the defensive line they have against the Titans and the injuries that they're dealing with on the offensive line, I think you're able to get pressure on Tannehill. Tannehill will sit in the pocket, he'll deliver some shots, he'll rip off some third down conversions, he'll score some points. But you don't have to worry too much about the running game. You should be able to get them in third and long. And then you live with the coverage you have. You got good personnel. Your defensive line's been playing better and better. David on your modest back. I think you stay in what you're doing. And you just acknowledge that Matt Ryan, you had Matt Ryan at what? 24 points through four four quarters. It was pretty good. And then... Adebo gets burned, Cordero Patterson, all of a sudden you lose the game. So you try to remove that one play and you feel pretty good about your defense overall.
1: Yeah, overall, the first three quarters, the Falcons weren't doing very much. There was a lot of points scored late in that game. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk Trevor Simeon before we get your final take on this game. You know, everybody's going to look at the end result and say the Saints, what the hell they lost to the Falcons. Trevor Simeon stinks. Um, he delivered overall, though, an average performance last week. CPOE was average, intended air yards was average, completed air yards slightly above average. Uh, they were very diversified when they were passing the football But the thing that was intriguing to me when I went back and looked at this game more is what they were doing on third downs. So they averaged 9.4 yards to go on third downs, but they threw the ball 15 air yards uh, down the field. When they had less than five yards to go on third down, they converted 75% of them. When they had more than five yards to go on third down, they converted 0% of them. They could not do anything. Um, And what was interesting is, You know, here's an example of like a few of these passes. They needed eight yards to go and they threw it twenty-four yards down the field. They had eleven a third and eleven, they threw it twenty-eight yards down the field. They had a third and seven, they threw it sixteen yards down the field. I am a proponent of passing beyond the sticks on third down. But when you got a quarterback like Trevor Simeon, who whose accuracy inevitably will decline the further away from the line of scrimmage that he's throwing the football, throwing these deep passes over 15 yards, over 20 yards, over 25 yards down the field when you need seven to eight to 11 yards doesn't seem like the best strategy to do repeatedly against a defense. Um That aside, just in general, what did you see from Simeon aside from what we saw from the stats? And were you at all surprised, not necessarily in the passing game, that we didn't see a little bit more of Taysom Hill mixed into the run game? I felt like getting him back was going to be this added weapon jack of all trades. You could just plug him in a few different spots like they had done in the past, but I think he had only one rushing attempt and one passing attempt the entire game.
2: Yeah. I was surprised that Taysom wasn't a bigger part of the, of the running game plan. I'm surprised he wasn't a bigger part of the short yardage game plan. Uh, there's always just such cognitive dissonance. You're watching that film, like Trevor Simeon rolls out split zone action, the tight ends going in the flat. And then you remember the tight ends wearing number seven and also as a quarterback. And you're just like, what is going on with this team? It's very odd. But uh, in general, I was impressed with how Simeon played. I think that, I think that when you have this, this, prototype of a, of a backup quarterback who's like a, a smart dude, right? He was a Northwestern quarterback, seventh round pick. Like he was the next Peyton Manning in Denver or whatever. He's a cerebral player. Player. He's a good preparer. Uh, and He doesn't have great arm strength. You just expect that guy, that backup to be risk averse, nickel and dime, let the offense work for you. There's tropes that I've talked about before in the show. Simeon was like, as you brought up, willing to push it. And that's a really nice thing to see because this Saints receiver room is not built for nickel and dime. Because they just don't have the talent, right? You need like consistent, reliable receiver production to get that done. Deonta Harris, Marcus Calloway, Adam Troutman, not that. And they dealt with drops. And I think that that some of those downfield passes, to me, were catchable footballs. Maybe not the best thrown footballs, maybe not the easiest catches, but catchable footballs. And and ones that you'd expect a player like Troutman, who's not really had drops problems before, to be able to deal with, right? And so they need, I think their receivers to step up to the level the quarterback was playing at. Surprising when that's a backup that came in. But that's how I felt off of that Falcons film. I don't think they're going to be able to push the ball downfield as much as they did uh, against Atlanta. Atlanta's really going through a defensive self-discovery right now. Like Dean Pease was the defensive coordinator. They were pressuring like bananas the last few weeks, or the first few weeks of the season. And then Dean Pease had a press conference. Where he was like, we can't, do this like our secondary is just not not talented enough right so now they're trying to just live in and more like cover three zone they're trying to live with more seven back there let AJ Terrell work who's been great for them this year uh, in general I think that you're going to see similar offensive approach with Simeon being able to pick his shots being willing to go beyond the six on third down and I think that that was good uh, I was impressed by what I saw I thought the offensive line played well the receivers were the ones who literally dropped the ball that week and if they can get some positive regression there get an extra third down co- conversion or 2 this passing game to me works uh, with Simeon out there in the way that it's constructed. I like how it looks. We just got to catch football.
1: So I want to get your final take on this game right now. The Tennessee Titans are favored by three points. The total sits at 44 and a half points. Um, but I, in getting your answer, I want you to also help me out on this. The Titans have a bunch of injuries in the secondary, but they do seem to be playing a little bit better. And, you know, they were 31st in pressure rate entering the game last Sunday night. And then they had a ton of pressures against Matthew Stafford in that game on prime time. Um, talk to me a little bit about how this defense has stepped up. The secondary has stepped up. And then who do you see covering the spread in this game? How do you see this game playing out? It's uh, the the pressure rate thing is really something else, right? Like right now I'm
2: looking on um, uh pro football reference, team advanced defense for 2021. They have the Titans at a 26.2% pressure rate, which is 11th, 12th in the league, right? Like the the pressure charting for the Titans has been all over the place, which is just like a part part of the nature of like different people charting in different ways. Next Gen Stats has the two highest individual pressure players in the league over the last three weeks as Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry. The two defensive tackles for the Titans, like that's not how... You're not supposed to do that from defensive tackle. Like I talked about this on the Monday Ringer show. Like that's Aaron Donald nonsense. That's not real. Uh, so the the play of this defensive line Harold Landry, Jeffrey Simmons, Nico Autry, not even Bud Dupree, who's their 18 million dollar free agent, has been the driving force behind this defense. That is where they get their wins from. Very reminiscent of uh, you know like Robert Sala era 49ers, Jim Schwartz era Philadelphia Eagles. If our defensive line is winning, we are crushing you. If our defensive line is not winning, you are crushing us. These are the only two outcomes that we've got. Uh, That Rams offensive line is pretty light in the pants just in terms of the guys they have up front. They wanted, like, you know, they built it to run wide zones. It's not the heaviest group. Uh, Now you go up against the Saints. Uh, Eric McCoy, Andrews Pete, Calvin Throckmorton, James Hurst, the guys they've been playing out there, they're big boys. Uh, I don't think it's going to be nearly as easy for that defensive front. I fall on this game very weirdly, but very legitimately the same spot I fall in that Raiders-Chiefs game. You're telling me I can get a, a team that to me is a playoff team in the New Orleans Saints. They're five and three. They beat good teams. They lose to bad teams for some reason, but they beat all of the winning record teams they've got on their schedule this year. You're telling me I can get them as a dog against a team that I generally don't trust right now, which is the Derrick Henry-less Tennessee Titans, who, as we brought up, big win against the Rams, probably getting a little bit overvalued because of that, but from an offensive perspective, we're nowhere against los angeles yeah i'd like that uh so saints plus three where you can get it and if you don't not spending too much juice to buy the hook that's great but other than that like plus one 120 125 on the money
1: line to me it feels right so something that doesn't feel right is this philadelphia eagles defense oh, transitions baby <laughs> the 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 chargers game versus the eagles played out almost exactly as we were predicting it on the friday uh show and that you and i discussed before um you know, it was one game, I will say this, it's rare that I will go on the Friday show and say, I haven't bet this game, but I'm planning on betting this game, but I know I'm going to get a better number, so I'm just going to wait. Normally, I'm not going to say something like that out loud on a podcast, but in this case, I knew the betting group that was behind the move. They were betting on the Philadelphia Eagles. They bet them at plus three. They bet them at plus two and a half, plus two. I knew they were going to drive the line down. This group continues to rebet as the game gets closer to Sunday. I knew you were going to be able to get a better number going the opposite direction closer to kickoff. Uh, the Eagles' early down defense is terrible. They allow a 64% success rate the first three quarters of games. That force it, that allows you to bypass third downs quite frequently. And that's exactly what we we saw. And then when you they do force you into third downs in those rare instances, they rank 26th on third down. So we thought that the Chargers were gonna avoid punting, get into the red zone, have success in the red zone. The Eagles defense did not force a single punt in this game. They did not have a single takeaway. They did not record a single sack. Uh Shield Capadia uh, previously on the Eagles beat, he tweeted out some of these stats. In addition, they allowed the Chargers to drive to the Eagles' 27-yard line on every single possession. The defensive line had zero sacks, zero quarterback hits, zero tackles for loss, and allowed 80% completions for the fifth time this year. This Eagles pass defense ranks fifth worst on passes thrown between one and 15 air yards. And that's what Justin Herbert and this early down offense that we did not like from the Chargers, that's what they do. They throw short on early downs to their wide receivers, and they can take advantage of the Eagles deficiencies in allowing so much efficiency on these early down passes. This is what Teddy Two Gloves does. This is his wheelhouse. The Broncos rank number five in efficiency on passes thrown between one and 15 air yards. Last week versus the Cowboys, he averaged 9.4 yards per attempt, 63% success, and plus .25 EPA on these passes thrown within 1 to 15 air yards. How do you see this Broncos offense matching up against this Eagles defense?
2: Yeah, the, uh, the wait for big batters to move the Eagles off of three and then take the Chargers was just delightful. One of my favorite things of last week, had a great time. Uh, I This is the third game this year where the Eagles defense hasn't forced a punt, I want to say. Raiders, Chiefs, Chargers, I'm pretty sure it's three. It's definitely at least two, uh, which is nuts, but that's where we are right now. Uh, The personnel is not good. And then the scheme is very reliant on good personnel in in terms of the back seven. They're trying to be more aggressive. They're blitzing more. They are trying to move those safeties up and hit and take away intermediate stuff. And it's great, but there's only so much you can do here. Uh, to me, I think I've said this on the show before, if you clear a bar of intelligent quarterbacking, I expect you to shred this defense up, right? Like, they, they were able to stop Matt Ryan early in the season. You know, I think it's a little bit of a game with where the Falcons offense is now. They are pretty good against, like, Jimmy Garoppolo and banged-up San Francisco team. Again, like, I think Jimmy's kind of always been that bar of quarterback play. But, like, Derek Carr, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, no. To me, Teddy's above that bar. And that's a very important note for this game, because Teddy is not a very aggressive passer and Teddy doesn't have a great arm and Teddy can sometimes freak out in the pocket a little bit. but Teddy is an intelligent passer who will take what you give him. He will make you wrong on the chalkboard a lot. And if that's seven Melvin Gordon targets, seven Melvin Gordon targets. If that's eight Albert Okawaybanom targets, that's eight Albert Okwabanom targets. They don't care. They got enough horses in the stable. They'll take what they give you and they'll, and they'll hammer it and they'll hammer it and they'll hammer it. And that's one of the things I've always liked about Pat Shermer, who's a little bit of a debated coordinator as well. If something ain't broke, you don't know, fix it. And, and and I like that in my coordinators. If you've got a home base, stay on it. Uh, Teddy's going to complete 30 passes in this game. You know what I mean? And and I can't promise good yards per attempt. I can't promise good red zone stuff because the Broncos get a little bit cautious and, 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 and uh, scared in their red zone passing game. But they're going to be able to move the ball down the field, you know, every drive past the 27 yard line, whatever it was like that, that's going to be a very similar model throwing the fact that that, that running backfield's playing even better as well. Uh, I, I, I don't see a way for an Eagles team that's struggling to generate sacks, struggling to generate turnovers and struggling to generate third down stops. All of a sudden starts doing that against a Broncos offense that wants to be hyper-efficient. That's how they want to live anyway. That's what the Eagles let you do. Uh, so another high scoring game for the Broncos, uh, another controlled game for the Broncos, another game where the Eagles defense can't buy the offense any help.
1: So in terms of buying the offense some help here, this Broncos defense goes up against this Eagles offense and they shut down this Dallas Cowboys high powered offense last week. In in just a minute or two, what were they doing defensively that worked so well against the Dallas Cowboys offense? Uh we we wanted
2: the Fangio defense early in the season to be this, and they really weren't there, and they had a bunch of linebackers in, injuries, and their interior defensive front kind of wasn't stopping the run. They had to move around some personnel. All of a sudden, you got Kenny Young in the building. You know, Vaughn Miller's out. You know, Draymond Jones is like a full-time starter now. He's kind of rounded out as the season's gone on. And that That front six has kind of settled, and all of a sudden... Secondary looks great. You know what I mean? It, show, it goes to show you the interplay, the interconnectedness of NFL defense. They ran the Fangio stuff. There was nothing new. Uh, there was nothing, nothing fancy. Patrick Sertan can take away Amari Cooper. Ronald Darby can run with C.D. Lamb decently well enough. Dak's going to have an off day. Like Dak just, just missing some throws. Just a bad day from Dak. And we are going to have two safeties and we are going to hit everything that moves over the middle of the field, right? We are going to take away crosser after crosser after crosser. And we're going to make you throw outside of the numbers. Usually Prescott can do that well enough but in general, he missed and the Broncos offense was able, Broncos' defense excuse me, was able to take away the stuff that the Cowboys wanted to get. Throw in some good fourth down situational football, some nice wins in the trenches. You've got yourself a very surprising three and a half quarter shutout. Don't think we'll always see that just because in general it is like a, a weaker linebacker core. They do not have a, a great pass rush with Vaughn out and no Bradley Chubb, whatever. But this is how Fangio teams are supposed to look. Eagles like to throw outside of the numbers. They're going to get that with Hurts. They're going to get their rollout stuff going. If Hurts is accurate, they'll move the ball down the field. Uh, I think that we're we're looking at a higher scoring game than a lot of people project for right now. I think last I saw the total was around like 44. Yeah, to me, this is an overspot because I think the Eagles are really good scoring team when they're down in the second half and I expect them to be so. I expect the Broncos, like I said, to drive and score points. Um, So I think the Eagles will get theirs, but this is what a Fangio defense is supposed to look like. That's how it's supposed to work and it was nice to see it back for one week.
1: The Eagles are really good right now at being able to run the football. Uh, They've really pivoted their offensive focus to that ground game behind a great offensive line and having efficiency doing that. It is a way that you can attack this defense a little bit, particularly inside of the red zone. The Broncos are outstanding defending the pass inside of the red zone. They're significantly worse defending the run inside Mm -hmm. of the red zone. Could be an area where the Philadelphia Eagles have some success, is on the ground. Um, Let me just ask you this, just based upon prior matchups and whatnot. We know, for example, last season, the only two teams that played this cover two shell at, at anywhere close to like an above average rate, like way off the radar, were the Rams and were the Broncos the Rams were Brandon Staley Brandon Staley is now with the Chargers the Eagles just played the Chargers defense now they get to go up against Fangio's defense who's like the godfather of this does that help the Eagles at all the fact that they just played a defense that relies on a lot of that same core concepts and you said that defense really doesn't change very much of who they are uh, does that help that they just played the Chargers at all to
2: a degree I don't think a lot uh it's, so it's worth noting, right, these, these two high shells, right, these, these two deep structures, uh, you know, Fangio and Staley are going to run and, you know, go to back to 2020, 2019, we're going to run quarters, right? These two deep safeties are going to be part of our run fit. So they're going to be able to come down and be in the box. And if there's a slot receiver releasing vertical, that deep safety's got him. He's got to be responsible for him. So safety's key and downhill, right? He's lining up deep to play stuff intermediate, to play into the box. This year, because of personnel, because of offenses he's faced, because of whatever, uh, Staley's playing more like two-man, which is where those, those two deep safeties pre-snap are not coming downhill to play the run. They're not coming down to, to read number two vertical, that, that slot receiver coming vertical. They are playing deep half zones and then they're going to play man coverage underneath it. I think it's just because of the bodies he's got, right? You just kind of got to deal with what you deal with. So number one, there's some structural stuff that's different there. The other thing is that like in the running game specifically, Staley and Fangio are much more different. That coverage back, that, that, that shell stuff, similar, going back to 2020. Front's always been different. Staley plays with some of the college front stuff, uh, Fangio twists and he stunts and he runs games, right? They have different solutions to the problem of having those light boxes. So if you're talking about like, how you block stuff up, it is different week to week when you go from Staley to Fangio. But in general, every offense that's smart spent time this offseason preparing for these defensive structures because they know it's what's coming. Every team wants to do more of this now. Uh, so you should already have your answers known for this style of defense in terms of coming into the season and just playing Chargers, Broncos, back-to-back shouldn't affect what you do too much, in my opinion.
1: So, uh, last word, you like the over. Did you say that you like the Broncos to cover this short number as well?
2: Yeah, but also the Eagles are just so annoying in the fourth quarter. That it's always a worry uh, that how this this one's going to go. We saw uh, Denver have a lot of trouble closing out a Washington game that should have been very easy to close out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I, I, I've liked, I've faded the Eagles last like five, six weeks. You know what I mean? I, uh, books continue to love them. Because of the late production, right? Because of the the late scoring, because of the running ability of Jalen Hurts, they're able to win the field position game a little bit better because they pick up those long third downs. They don't turn the ball over too much. So I get it. But like from a football perspective, Broncos are more than three points better than the Eagles, especially at home. A mile high, obviously a great place to play. Uh, so we, I do like Broncos minus three, but I've been burned fading the Eagles before in general for me on this spot over 44 is what I like.
1: So let's move on to a couple of games that we're going to go through a lot quicker because there are just significant questions about what is exactly going on here, both in terms of health and strategy. I think let's talk about the the first one, which I think we expect with the Seahawks and the Packers. This line is certainly telling us that Aaron Rodgers is likely to play. Now, it did open at five and a half. It's down to three and a half. Um, He made some comments on his show with Pat McAfee yesterday that there was a possibility that he doesn't play. And of course, that is still a possibility, but he's obviously gearing up to play. Um, he's kind of a very calm, relaxed guy during those interviews. So I think he's kind of being a little bit nonchalant about it, but I think he wants to be out there and play and and the line indicates as much. Um, Seattle has been vulnerable versus the pass, but they've done really well defending third downs, defending the red zone and better against the run this season than last season, Uh, the Packers offense now with Aaron Rodgers back into the mix have been back to virtually full strength at this point in time with the receivers getting healthy. Of course, they're without Big Bog Tanyan for the season. Uh, They're offsetting that in other ways. How do you see the Seahawks defense matching up with this Packers offense? Generally impressed, by the way, the Seahawks defense rose to the
2: occasion of Russell Wilson's absence over the last few weeks. But I also think they've legitimately like just been playing better ball. You know what I mean? Like Daryl Taylor, second-year rusher for them, rounding into form. They kind of moved around who they're starting at corner and then figuring out what they want to run with those guys. And they've, they've settled into a place. I, I'm not going to go so far as to call it like good. It's probably a little too much. But it's it, when you have this learning process early and then you stop shuffling personnel – You start putting guys in roles and you let them play, communication becomes easier, chemistry becomes easier, comfort. You know what I mean? Like you just, you you kind of settling in is the best way to say it. That you kind of sit down, you say, This is what we are, this is what we aren't, this is what we do well, this is what we not do well. We now know what our pitches are, what to swing at, and, and what to let go by. So in general, I think the Seattle defense is being undervalued. They aren't a great matchup for the Packers because they do not have the one guy you want covering the one guy. Devontae Adams on the opposite side. They've got Sidney Jones. It's not not really where you want to be uh, in terms of when you're going up against a star receiver like that. So you're worried about that matchup. That's something that freaks you out. In general, though, uh, this team does have a lot of good answers to an RPO game because they have so many really aggressive overhang defenders. Ugo Amadi, Jamal Adams, DJ Reed, right? So when when the Packers try to be super RPO heavy with Rodgers out there, they have the speed and the play recognition to go and get that and rally to that. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see this Packers offense, which is usually hyper-efficient under Rodgers, lose a little bit of that and have to hunt explosives a little bit more. I think it'll go well for them because, like I said, Devontae adams outfield is a matchup you like, but it's not really where the Packers want to be. I'm not sold Rodgers is able to play. The earliest he can be medically cleared, based off the timeline that I understand, is Saturday, and I'm not sure I trust anything about Roger's COVID situations right now in terms of his opinions on things relative to the truth and reality of the NFL matter on things. Uh, so to me, I've got a potential for Jordan Love in this game. Uh, Russ coming back from a finger injury really, really fast also skews me out a little bit in terms of how that that passing game might work because it wasn't even amazing to start with. Uh, I took the under at 50. And I'm willing to sit and wait and continue and see if we get a a tick up when Rodgers is is confirmed starting. And then I might even take it again. Packers defense playing really well. Seattle's defense underrated. Both these offenses are a little bit in flux.
1: Yeah, I was definitely impressed by the Packers defense once again, holding Mahomes to everything they did, limiting the chiefs to just 2.5 yards per attempt on 11 attempts on first down passes, even though they didn't get a lot of pressure there. Uh, They did great against the Cardinals. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, In general, quick 30 seconds, Packers defense against Seahawks offense. Do we see with regard to Russ coming back very quickly from the finger, just a more reliant run attack? And if the Seahawks have a lead, then we're going to see even more of a rushing attack um, than usual. And how do you see the Seahawks offense having some success against this Packers defense?
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, I think that, you know, we we have we talked about Pete Carroll at all. We should talk about Pete Carroll. Uh, Pete Carroll wants to run the football. We know this. Uh, and I think that you saw when Russ went out, and Alex Collins had to be the starter because uh you know I know Chris Carson, and this running game still like generally worked the way the Seahawks wanted to work. I think that you know Pete Carroll going to learn a bad lesson from a good thing and say. This is how we want to be. Like This worked for us on offense. Like, look, we scored 20 points and 21 points with Gino. Like, if we do this offensively with Russ and we're able to get some more of those deep shots and, and hit some more explosives, we're going to be the offense we want to be. I would not be surprised if they come out, uh, you know, off of the bye week, Russ back up against the Packers defense, going to give you light boxes. Joe Barry's a Brandon Staley cast off. They're going to give you too high. They're going to give you light boxes. I think they're going to run the football a lot. Uh even with Russ back out there. And to me, that's going to slow the game and shorten the game. That helps me get to the under as well. I, it's not the worst idea against the Packers just because of structurally it's what they're giving you. But this defensive line, which is really underwhelming early, it has, has started to round into form. This really is the units that are settling down podcast for whatever reason in week 10. But... Uh, without Kingsley Kiki, without uh, Kenny Clark last week, they're putting to Slayton and, and Tyler Lancaster out there and still succeeding. These guys are starting to buy into the system, buy into the scheme, understand how it's supposed to work. Uh, so I, I think that Packers run defense liability early in the season. Not so much anymore.
1: Yeah. Speaking of running the football, we now have a matchup that we're going to plow through very quickly because we don't know what's going on with the running backs in this game. And that's Cleveland Browns, at the New England Patriots, two teams that Really have high run rates, and they are both dealing with potentially their top two running backs for both teams being out. Um, The Browns could be without Chubb with COVID. I think he's going to be out. Obviously, Kareem Hunt on IR. We got two concussions for the two starting running backs for the New England Patriots. Um, My question for you, Ben, is how does Kevin Stefanski choose to attack this defense? without their top two running back options because that's going to allow Bill Belichick to really try to put this game on Baker Mayfield's shoulders potentially and do what he does to confuse a lot of passers that maybe don't have a lot of confidence uh, in themselves. Although I think Baker's not short on confidence and he played really well last week. But how does Stefanski attack what Bill Belichick's gonna try to throw at them?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I cannot wait to tell you how I feel about this game. Sunday evening that's when I'll I'll, I'll let you know back like, this is what I expected um now everybody should listen to the Friday show on the ring NFL show where I make one of Stephen Rieser Kalen Jones tell me what's gonna happen in this game and then I pretend like that's what I expected I'm nowhere on this one it's so tricky to figure out uh the Browns have been a very difficult offense to diagnose with the numerous absences they've had Nick Chubb Kareem Hunt Jack Conklin Judge Wills J.C. Treader, Jarvis Landry Odell Beckham Jr. like Eight of 11 starters have missed time across the first nine weeks of the season at intermittent points. So you like, they're always accounting for something, but then that something is different. It's kind of changing. And obviously, like structurally, they're they are what they are. Like they solve their foundation. We're going to be a 12, 13 personnel. We're going to be play action boot. We're going to be RPO heavy, screen heavy, whatever. Uh, but exactly how that's all supposed to gel, what players they want featured where, has been a difficult thing to figure out. And usually when you Reverse engineer a Bill Belichick game plan as an analyst. You say, All right, what does the opposing team do really well? Let's get rid of that. And then you look at the Browns, you're like, I don't even know what they're gonna try to do this week because they got no Chubb and no no and potentially no Felton, who's like a fun little gadget player for them. No Odell. So now there's more Donovan Peoples Jones. Does that mean more shots down the field? Do they still go three tight ends if it's Dearners Johnson? Because they didn't run as many heavy tight end stuff with De Ernest Johnson after the opening script of the Broncos. It's a lot going on, man. Uh, so to me, I really struggle to get a beat on this game. I think you're going to see Belichick live in man. Uh, that's what he he generally wants to be. I think you're going to see him run with five man pressures, with creepers, with simulated pressures. They're going to blitz the ever living daylights out of the open side. Right, the tight ends on the left side of the formation. They'll blitz the right side and try to hit the bootleg, hit the bootleg, hit the bootleg. Always be there for Baker if he if he keeps that ball. And then they're going to they're going to trust their secondary. J.C. Jackson against Jarvis Landry. You like that matchup. Trust their secondary to get the job done. If anything heavy tight end targets, try to go after the linebackers, but that's a tough ask. I don't know where Cleveland's going to be on this one.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. There's a lot of things up in the air for it. On the other side of the ball, we know that the Cleveland Browns have been very good about getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. We know that the Patriots want to run the ball, take the pressure off of Mac Jones. They might have to throw the ball a little bit more in this game. Um, How do the Patriots Protect Mac Jones well enough. Obviously, he had a shaky game last week as well. Um, How much success do you see the Patriots offense having against this Browns defense? Yeah, I I think the Patriots are going to be really run heavy on the script.
2: And it's because this Browns defensive line wants to penetrate. They want to be quick. They want to be aggressive. They want to be in gaps. And Josh McDaniels really likes running against those teams because he goes... 21-12 Twenty-one twelve 12 personnel, right? Two tight ends, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, bring in uh, Jakob Johnson, the fullback, and then he lets those guys get upfield, and then he traps them. He whams them. He inserts on them, right? Running a, you, you get multiple guys in that backfield, Johnny Smith and the fullback Johnson. You let those penetrators get upfield, and then you crash into them with pullers. And you try to generate upfield running lanes. Damien Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, had a really nice game last week. Get the ball and immediately go upfield, and they hit that alley. And if you can get Harris 225, stevenson 240 into that secondary with how light those players are right like they they run light guys at linebacker they run light guys at corner at nickel you can get really physical and start to get some some damaging runs. so the way that the patriots succeeded against the chargers is the way that i expect them to succeed against the browns i think they're going to be very run heavy and then play action pass out of that heavy personnel that's what they are aspiring to be. That's where they're working towards. It doesn't make sense to try to spread out this Browns team. The secondary is too deep. Go heavy personnel. Make them put linebackers on the field and then run it at those linebackers. So I like the Patriots to be able to win in this game to be able to cover because what the most trustworthy thing for me in this game is how that running game will perform against the Browns defense. With that said, I'm not touching this game because there's way there's way too much stuff that I do not understand and I cannot predict for me to feel confident in anything.
1: Yeah. And it's a good lesson. You don't have to bet every single game on the board. Um, Pick and choose your spots, whether it's one or six every single week, find the best opportunities that you think you have an edge, attack those edges, uh, steer clear of the ones that you have question marks on. Speaking of having question marks, Ben, what the fuck is this Jaguars offense right now? <laughs> um, let, let's just ask that right off the bat. This team came out of the bye and has played two games and hasn't even scored 10 points in either of those games. Their passing attack averaged four and a half yards per attempt with minus 0.1 EPA per attempt in these two games. Lawrence's average target depth the past two weeks has been 5.9 yards. On early downs, his average target depth is only 4.8 yards, which ranks second lowest in the NFL. What is going on with this offense? And, you know, I'm going to, because we're running short on time, I'm going to roll this other question into it. And that is the Colts allow a ton of production late in games with their defensive scheme. Um, they're always allowing fourth quarter points. In fact, aside from the game against the Houston Texans, offense stinks, and the monsoon against the San Francisco 49ers, the Colts defense has allowed double digit points in the fourth quarter in six straight games. But do we even trust this Jacksonville Jaguars offense to be able to do anything in this garbage time? What is going on with this offense? And do you think that they have any hope of looking semi-respectable against this Indianapolis Colts defense on Sunday?
2: Yes, I do have enough faith. Uh, the the, the production has been terrible, right? We're just, okay, I'm fine with that. Lawrence is playing well. He's He's good. He's throwing the ball well. He's throwing the ball aggressively. He's hitting, he's hitting guys. It's accuracy. He's extending plays. He's doing a lot of very, very, very good stuff. When Jamal Agnew is your most targeted player, your offense has a ceiling, and they're just running into that ceiling because the wide receiver room is a mess. They have to get Marvin Jones more involved, uh, and I think that they know that. I think that that they're working on that internally. You've heard them talk about it. The other thing, though, is that the, the only starter that they have at this receiver room who they haven't really been able to activate is LaVisca Chennault. Chennault is the underneath receiver. That's how you want to use him. That's You want to get the ball into his hands. That's what the Colts offense allows you to do. Or excuse me, the Colts defense allows you to do. That's that structure. Like they were talking about with the Eagles. The underneath completion is there, take it. Lawrence, I think, is going to be able to nickel and dime in this game more easily than he could against Seattle, which is an aggressive underneath defense, and then the Bills, which is a really freaking aggressive underneath defense. Indianapolis doesn't play that way. So I think they're going to have more success passing the football. And especially because I think they're going to be able to put some points on late I think that we can get over the total, which is at 47 and a half. Colts are going to put up high 20s, low 30s. Jacksonville defense, the only way they're getting a stop and they got more than one stop against the Bills, it was awesome, is if that front can win, right? Josh Allen had the game of his life. Taven Bryan had multiple sacks. Like, that's all they have right now. And they were able to get that and get a win against the Bills. It was tremendous. They have some juice. That's awesome. Colts offensive line is too good. Colts can be able to protect for him. Um, Jonathan Taylor's playing outside of his mind. Wentz can throw the deep ball, get the defensive pass interference, get those explosives that way. So I think the Colts are trustworthy, trustworthy for 30, and I think the, the Jaguars are trustworthy for... 17, 20 when we get late in this game. So I like us to be able to go over 47 and a half.
1: Okay, I'm going to move to the next game because you basically answered the question. I think John Feliciano missing the first game of the year last week for the Bills was an underrated absence for them because people around the league that I talked to, he's just so good at helping with the protection schemes up front, making those adjustments, and he wasn't there for the Bills. And obviously it felt like they were dropping back all the time. So I was going to ask you about the way that the Jaguars' defense suddenly looked like superheroes against this Bills' offense. I think the Bills were throwing the ball a ton, and they were getting pressured a ton as well, and it just is a bad combination there, of course. Um, Let's switch over really quick to a little quick story about the Dallas Cowboys here. You mentioned the Atlanta Falcons being able to maybe have some success potentially covering this nine-point spread. We're going to ask you in rapid-fire very next segment whether that's the team that you want to be betting on this week. Um, But the Falcons defense has played some of the worst opposing offenses. If you go back to week three, I won't rattle off every single one of these teams, but we're talking about six teams that basically rank bottom 10 in the NFL offensively uh, that the Atlanta Falcons offense has faced, including the Panthers and Dolphins and Jets, three of those teams. Um, by far the easiest schedule of opposing offenses now they got to go up against the number three offense of the Dallas Cowboys. Conversely, this Cowboys offense really has not been playing a cakewalk whatsoever. In fact, since week four, they have played three top 10 defenses plus the Giants and Broncos. Now they get the number 31 Falcons defense. It should be a good get right spot for the Dallas Cowboys offense. Do you think that it is? And. Obviously this total has been bet up open around fifty-two and has been bet up to fifty-four and a half, fifty-five. Um, where do you see this matchup in in about two minutes? Yeah,
2: I wish I'd been on, on that total early. I ended up on Falcons nine and a half. They are a bet that I have and that and that I like. And it's because I, I do trust that offense to keep this one score. Uh, I do think the Falcons will probably remember the Cowboys game last year a little bit and uh, try to uh, try to keep this one close. Maybe let an onside kick or two decide it. Um, but the, uh, the, the offense is trustworthy. The defense, like I said, right? Like they, they caught those bad offenses, but they also have been changing the way they go about things. Dean Pease is their DC. He's one of the most pressure-happy guys you'll ever meet in your entire life, and he is actively trying not to send pressures. It is completely a tiger changing his stripes. They're figuring that out, uh, but those additional bodies and coverage are helping them and they do have a guy in A.J. Terrell who I think we need to start talking as a player we trust against top receivers on the outside and Dallas has two of them, but you should be able to, to get a good matchup with one of them, Terrell against Amari uh, Cooper or Ceedee Lamb, whichever one you want. Cowboys are still going to get their points. They're going to get theirs, um, but I, I think that you have enough in Atlanta, A.J. Terrell and the defensive changes that you can keep this thing close enough that they're able to get within nine and a half. In general, to me, Falcons secondary, not trustworthy, but neither is Dallas. And so for me, I like points in this game and I like Atlanta to be able to keep it within nine.
1: Okay, let's hit a couple of teams that you might want to be betting on this week from the first perspective. Any team that won their game last week, I sent you the list. They're favored this week that you think has a bad matchup or might be getting overvalued. Yeah, so talked about Kansas City two and a half uh,
2: against the Raiders. I I like that I can get the Raiders a plus money there, and I like that I can get the Saints with plus money against the Titans at three as well. The other one that sticks out to me is uh, Steelers minus nine against the Lions. We've seen the Steelers, oh, oh, to me, like impressive performances, impressive wins. I wouldn't have pegged the Steelers as a five and three team, but they generally play one score games. They play ugly, tough games. They make you play a rock fight with them. Firstly, Dan Campbell loves a rock fight. He's jazzed. But we've also seen the Lions hang with high-scoring, or not high-scoring teams, big-record teams, winning teams. We saw them hang with the Rams for three quarters, hang with the Ravens for 59 of 60 minutes, right? They are a losing team, but they have not been massively boat-raced and outclassed by winning teams their biggest blowout was the eagles which again is a game that just makes like no sense so to me nine points for the steelers i get it little bit too rich for my blood i'm back on the uh back in the lions as a dog train i was took a few weeks off i'm back baby lions plus nine
1: now on the other side of the ball plus uh by the way winless teams off of a buy that have done nothing but listen to their coach bitch and moan at them for the last 14 days they tend to play a little bit more focused uh in this first Ooh. spot. So it could be a little bit interesting off of that big Steelers win in primetime um on a short week going up against uh going up against these winless Lions. On the other side of the ball, any team that lost last week that's an underdog this week that you think has value? Yeah, uh, and and there's ones that we've talked about. We had Lions, we got the Saints. Uh we have
2: the no 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 wait wait. Yeah, we've Lions and the Saints. Then the Raiders, yeah. For a second, I didn't see the Raiders on the list. I was like, they definitely lost the Giants. I remember, because I lost money on that football game. Those are the three that I still like very much. Uh, I'm not trusting Carolina with with P.J. Walker at quarterback. That offense has been horrible. I think P.J. Walker is an improvement. I just don't know how much. Uh, Jets plus 13.5 against Buffalo. I would love for another Mike White buy here. Uh, The Jets didn't cover as a a 10.5 point spread against the Colts with Mike White as the starter because he went down. I'm confident if he stayed in that game, they would have had that. I like the way this offense looks under Mike White. But Buffalo coming off the Jaguars loss, their opponent, really freaks me out. I think we we might be in a spot where Buffalo has a huge bounce back, a huge get right, a huge really physical game on defense, and then some high-scoring stuff on offense. So in general, I like the three I've already brought up, Lions plus nine, Saints plus three, and Raiders plus two and a half other than that, nobody I really love on the slate.
1: Okay. So let's pivot to the next game that we're all going to watch. That's Thursday night football, the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Miami dolphins. It appears that it's going to be Jacoby Brissett. Um, I don't see how, if Tua is not healthy enough to play last week, he'll be all of a sudden healthy enough with a broken finger, whatever he's got going on there to play just a few days later. Uh, but he's backing up most likely Jacoby Brissett, And we've got the Baltimore Ravens off of a big come from behind win against the Minnesota Vikings. Lamar Jackson, primetime television against this Dolphins defense should be a ton of fun to watch. What How do you break this game down? What are your thoughts right now? The Baltimore Ravens are laying seven and a half. Perfect candidate for a teaser if you think that they can just win this game. Um, and the total sits at 46 and a half. I what the, the main thing for me right now is that the Ravens have become a
2: pass-heavy team. They've become a passing team on neutral scripts because they understand that their structure running games isn't what they want it to be in recent weeks. And so if you are on FanDuel, for example, you can get Lamar Jackson pass attempts uh, at 27.5 with a juice of minus 130 and pass completions at over 18.5 with a juice of plus 106. And when you look at his game logs, to, that's pretty appropriate on completions he's at 27 15 19 but on attempts 41 31 27 43 37 31 to me that's very very light uh the only games in which he's missing those numbers are games where the the script is massively blown out the chargers game where they get a huge lead the Bengals game where they lost a huge lead right and they weren't on the field because they kept giving the ball away i don't expect either of those against the dolphins team that Runs the football, plays cautious ball. Like this defense be giving up a lot of explosive plays. Dolphins don't really get explosives. Uh, to me, I expect much more standard game script. Which for the Ravens now does not mean running the football. It means throwing the football. So uh, I think the Ravens are able to cover. I think you know like this is a game that they should control and win even on a short week. But for me, if I'm trying to bet this game, I like Lamar over passing attempts 28.5 a lot or 27.5. Excuse me. The juice there is obviously a little bit against your favor, but pass completions at 18 and a half, I would take that as well.
1: All right. It should be a good one. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm actually looking forward to a lot of games uh, on the slate it's a fun this week. Slate. It, it's a fun slate. And I do think that there's some value here. I think we've identified some of it on this show. Looking forward to breaking these games down in a little bit more detail, focusing in on the ones that House likes and trying to identify if he's right or wrong on Friday's episode, but that'll do it. Ben, thank you very much. Uh, great appearance as usual on the show. Love having you. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back on Friday, as I mentioned, with Joe House to get all his picks for this weekend's games. Thank you to Mike Wargarn and Craig Holbreck for producing the show. We will see you guys on Friday.